Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Interchange podcast uh, brought to you by Link, a branded and card issuing platform that is revolutionizing the way we pay. I'm your host, Daniel Nielsen, VP of Growth at Link, and I'm really thrilled to kick off our first episode today. And today we are diving into an exciting topic, uh, the world of pay by bank and the future of payment. I have to have with me a very special guest today, uh, none other than our CEO and founder, Nabi Yawada. Welcome, Nabi. Thanks, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, so as many may know, uh, Link launched recently our newest product feature, uh, Pay by Bank, and we couldn't be more excited about it. But before we really dive into that topic, uh, I wanted to give Nabi the opportunity to share a bit about his background and the journey he took to found Link to all our listeners. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn about the future of payments with Link. So Nabi, um, yeah, give us a little bit of a intro and a little bit of your background to all our listeners. How much time do you got, man? It's going to take a little too long, <laughs> but I'll, I'll kind of keep it condensed, right? Yeah. So uh, first job, and that's, uh, I, I guess, I was still kind of in, in the tail end of my high school years. I actually was able to work for PayPal and uh, product analyst for payment infrastructure. Uh, there's a long story of why I was able to work at PayPal in that capacity, but that's, a again, a, probably a different conversation to have. But I've worked for a lot of blue chip companies over, over the years, so everything from IBM to Honeywell to business objects that we got acquired by SAP, and I was there for a while as well. Um, eventually, wanted to kind of matter and not work on a widget of a widget, so I started working for startups, um, and, and I worked for a plethora of different companies across Canada. Eventually, I got an opportunity to fly out to uh, London, actually, not London, Ontario, but London, uh, you know, UK. Yeah. And I joined a DTC company called Eve. Uh, and Eve was kind of like Casper, uh, but they were kind of younger. And uh, in a short period of time, we ended up dominating the European market. A um, lot of really interesting stories uh, around that part. Uh, we're kind of like tangent. Uh, there's actually, a, you get to learn a lot of random details. So for every person in Germany, there are two beds. Now you know that. No yeah. one knows why, but the there's a disproportionate amount of beds to people in Germany. Um, anyways, eventually that company went public, um, and we ended up going on London Stock Exchange. Met a few folks from uh, a venture studio and venture firm called Founders Factory. Uh, became an EIR, which is an entrepreneur in residence. I uh, helped start companies up uh, for corporate sponsors, spinning them out, putting an executive team, funding all that. And uh, my time was ending, so I joined Monzo, which is one of the largest neobanks. And I always tell everybody, I ended up stabbing them in the back shortly after because I went over to Revolut, which is their competitor and the largest neobank in the world. And I worked on, on three core products there. One was Revolut for Business, which is a, what kind of predates Brex, um, as well as uh, the microloans product. And then finally, the ability to buy, sell, and hold crypto. Uh, Brexit was looming decided to come back to Canada and I joined a, a fledgling uh, company that was a venture studio called Axiom Zen, uh, same company that birthed uh, CryptoKitties and the NFT boom through Dapper. Uh, I went to do a talk at Web Summit and I promise you I'm almost done. I went to do a talk at Web Summit and uh, I met these two guys from a logistics company in Latin America called Rappi. And uh, they told me they wanted to become a super app. Uh, they wanted to lean into my experience and uh, they asked me to go down and you know, spend three months there to help them kind of uh, professionalize their product teams and, and get this product off the ground. Um, they wanted me to become their CPO. So I stayed there for a year as their global chief product officer for the FinTech side. 
And we deployed banks across Latin America with debit and credit products, uh, ended up raising uh, billions in mixture of credit facility and direct investment. Came back to Canada and tried to build Link and uh, got a partner bank actually. But unfortunately, it, it's very hard to work with the banks in Canada. Um, in fact, Revolut came here and six months later, they left. It, it's just an untenable. Um, we had the same issues, but we went down to the States, met a partner bank in New York. I ended up getting things off the ground within three months. And uh, that's basically what birthed Link. Uh, but initially, it was supposed to be an expense management solution. Uh, had to go back to early customers, you know, fine tune the value prop, understand the, the pain points before we started building. And, and we kind of came out with, uh, this branded product solution. Very, very, very interesting, Nabi. You know, so if just to take it back, no, so for 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 people who are listening in, so if you if you look at the kind of the payment space on the typical banking space, as as most people know it, like you go to the bank, you make a deposit, you take it out, you pay with a credit card or debit card. Uh, much of it has really not changed for hundreds of years, uh, but what you're starting to see from from BAS and open banking APIs and kind of opening it up. Like I, I know from, from your experience, Europe is really uh, trailblazing. Yeah. Uh, and Australia is even further. Yeah. yeah Australia is even further ahead. Europe uh, is further ahead than North America. North America is kind of lagging behind the rest yeah. of the world. And how, how do you see that in the in the coming years? Because you can really start seeing now this is really the future, you know, like and and really adapting and making it much easier for for merchants to 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 process payments and you know, have a little bit more control, as well as also the consumer, you know, like actually, mm-hmm. uh, kind of helping them in hand in hand. How, how do you see that kind of play out in the next little yeah, while? Yeah, I, I think there's some trends in the market. So some trends uh, that you're you're kind of seeing globally, but if obviously affecting North America very heavily is the high processing fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, merchants are are trying to drive those fees lower. The card networks and, and the the payment service providers and others are trying to keep them up. Uh, so the merchants and everyone is, is cl- uh, they're clashing, unfortunately. Um, the other problem that you kind of see in the marketplace, another, another trend that's kind of important is, is the immediate access to, to funds and capital. If you're a large merchant, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you have cash flow and float to be able to, to weather the storm. A lot of the smaller businesses, uh, whether they're one location or multi-location, they still kind of are operating at, at thin margins. And, and that's really the pain point that you see in the market is immediate access to cash flow uh, mm-hmm. and uh, also the cost of, of being able to run a payment itself. And yeah. the rest of the world's kind of solved for this a little bit. Uh, so for instance, in, in, in Europe, you have bank transfers that are yeah. bank to bank, you know, it, transactions that are running. Uh, Latin America, you can do something similar. I, I, built, I forgot the actual, uh, each, each country is different, obviously, because they're not one homogeneous uh, infrastructure, but they're, each country has their own account-to-account transfer uh, protocol. Uh, obviously, like I said, Australia is further ahead than everyone. North America is kind of ripe for finding a solution like that right now, not only to reduce rates, but also to have immediate access to, to cash flow. Yeah, and immediate access to cash flow. And also, if we think about uh, what, well, the whole world, but it's specifically uh, North America and the U.S., uh, kind of the recession kind of we're leaning in. Also, we're kind of seeing a lot of early startups they had to let a lot of people go unfortunately you know and the, the tech space you no know, during COVID, that was the spike a lot of hiring valuation was going up now it's kind of start declining as you saw into late of 22 and 23 now the kind of the same trend is following interest rates are going up uh for mortgages uh 
gas is more expensive. Like there's a lot of things going on there from a recession that is really impacting uh, the businesses and early small mid-sized businesses as well as the consumer. No, uh, how how like you're saying immediate cash flow like that's that's something Link obviously could go in and and solve for. Yeah, uh, it's if you're looking at like a standard brick and mortar business, I mean, yeah. that's the life, life, lifeblood of the business. Um, and, and typically, like I said, even if you're not talking about online payment gateways, if you're talking about just standard kind of POS terminals, whether it's your Mineris or, or, or in, in Genco or whatever it is, the problem with it is that you're, the merchant's still paying those fees directly to that provider. And those rates can really fluctuate depending on the card network, depending on type of card. It's, it gets very messy. But let's assume that they're they're paying anywhere from 1.5 to about five percent. Um, that that's really like that's a substantial amount of money. Not only a substantial amount of money, that's that's the lifeblood. And most of these companies are bleeding it out. It, it's just it's the nature of things. So smaller businesses, you're going to see more companies unfortunately die on the vine. Um, for digital businesses, the problem is a bit more acute. There's more nuance to it, right? So one of the problems is definitely that they're paying anywhere from 2.5 to about 3%, uh, sorry, up to 5%, not including the static fee to companies like Stripe and ADN and the rest, which is fine, right? That's how you process payments. Um, but if you have $100 million in GMV, uh, not including all your costs, you're talking about you know anywhere from 2.5 million to about $5 million in just processing fees. And that that means that you're, you know, that's being removed from, from available cash flow, from profitability. And unfortunately, the climate that we live in now, if you don't have a business that's profitable, if you don't have clear indications that you can become profitable, if you're not optimizing for revenue or optimizing for cash flow, guess what? You're not gonna be able to raise money. You're gonna die on the vine or gonna sell your business for, for scraps. It's an unfortunate thing. Now, when we started looking into building a solution like this, we realized that we really need to hinge the business on two really two different parts. Uh, and that's where we kind of fit in. Uh, right now, we work with a lot of digital businesses. That's kind of our, our, our bread and butter. And we're looking kind of to expand further out. But the two kind of uh, pillars that we built the business around is uh, instant low-cost payments and instant uh, revenue-generating disbursements. And the last part kind of throws people off a little bit, like, what do you mean disbursements is revenue generating? And, and we'll get into that like in a different conversation or maybe down the line in the future, but we yeah. don't believe that payments need to be a cost structure. They can be revenue generating if done the right way with the right um, with the right strategy and also the, the right partners in, in between everything. And that's essentially a complete change of mindset, though, as a business owner, you're always looking at payment. It's driving, there is a cost associated with no processing payments, whether you're using your NAP, brick and mortar store with POS terminals or kind of e-commerce, uh, but really kind of putting that as a potential to actually help the business drive revenue, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a whole different pay... way of kind of looking at it. Yeah, yeah you're going to pay, you're going to make these payments regardless, right? Yeah. And they're always going to be uh, debits on on your ledger. They're, they're being removed. They're not a credit on your ledger. They're not increasing your, your available cash flow. But what if they could be? And, and that's really the question we proposed. And, and that's why we we started kind of going down this line and we found an opportunity to do that. Um, now, what we start off with, with every kind of, with every partner is you have, you know, really two acute issues. You have, well, there's three, right? There's immediate ca cash flow access, there's high processing fees, and there's also customer retention. Uh, can we have an effect on all three? And, and, and that's what the pay by bank feature that we announced actually handles. Uh, now, there are 
other features that we provide that expand into disbursements becoming revenue drivers. But I, I, I guess, like I said, that could be a different conversation altogether. Yeah. So unpack a little bit more on the customer retention. I think that's that's an that's an interesting part of it. Uh, yeah. So typically, no, like everyone who's familiar with Visa, Mastercard, American Express, they have all these different uh, cashbacks, loyalty reward programs, yeah, whether it's Air Miles and all that. Yeah. Where where's the actual yeah. money to fund all these rewards coming from? Right. Like if if you you know you always say follow the money right if you follow yeah. the money all the way back it's going back to the consumer who's making a transaction in yeah. fact it's it's if you take a step even further into you realize it's not even coming from the consumer it's coming from the pockets of the merchant yeah. so the merchants are actually paying for your cashback credit they're paying for your uh, rewards they're paying for your concierge which is as a consumer great you don't care um, but you should and there's a few reasons why. One is that there's a trickle-down effect to the cost of goods uh, related to the cost of, of selling or the cost of production. And that, that's really why it's important. Because if the merchant is paying, like, say, 3%, do you think that they're not looking to increase their margins? Do you, do you feel like they're not going to try to increase yeah. the cost of, of the product itself? The market starts to inflate over time. And we have inflation right now. Um, an interesting kind of like side tangent to this, and there's a regulation in Canada passed that allowed you to pass your processing fee onto the consumer, mm -hmm. right? And guess what? The U.S. is considering it. Now, we've always had these kind of weird line items on our receipts like uh, utility fee, inflation, whatever it is, but it's never been a wholesale processing fee, the entire processing fee. And that's what we're starting to get in Canada, and the U.S. will shortly follow because the merchants couldn't change the cost structure with the networks. And then, and the the partner banks, and because of that, the merchants now have to find an alternative. And the alternative is to go down to the consumer. So enjoy your rewards, but just know you're paying much more for items than you have to. So by using an alternative payment method like like the one you've you've built here, Link uh, Pay by Bank, you essentially could take those savings that you're getting every month and kind of repurpose that into loyalty programs for customer acquisition and 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 other interesting things to to really drive repeat customer behavior you know yeah and like we fundamentally believe in incentivizing all parts of the the transaction yeah. right yeah. so we're we're the, the payment provider whether it's it's your your stripe or even if you go all the way into their ecosystem which is like uh, the psp or like paysafe or something um they're benefiting from the transaction cost the merchant is not benefiting in that transaction at all in fact it's the reason why they say no to Amex a lot because their their fees are crazy. Um, the user doesn't benefit unless they get a, re a reward. Now, that reward is for credit card users. Now, we're not trying to change and convert credit card users. What we're actually targeting is debit card users, which are actually, maybe I should say, go back a little bit. So there's a misconception that most of commerce is happening on credit cards in the U.S. That's not true. In fact, as we go look into Gen Z, for instance, well over 80% of their transactions are happening on debit cards and also, yeah, just through wholesale debit cards. But even if you look at the general public and you look at the blended, uh, uh, blended demographics, what you find is across the US, uh, the last number I saw was 67. I know that you've seen numbers as high as 71, 72. They're actually still debit card preferred which means that there's a large proportion of customers that are actually still using debit cards. It's not credit cards like we all assume, and they're not benefiting from any value. So what we believe in is benefiting and providing value for all people in the chain. So our system, what it does is it incentivizes users by giving them some type of reward, whether it's a cashback credit or immediate discount. 
the, the merchant is benefiting from a lower processing fee and we're benefiting from facilitating high volume transactions that are while profitable for us, still cost effective for all parties and generating more conversion. So what I mean by that is we see an increase in, in the 40th percentile for uh, average order of value, AOV, and an 80th percentile increase in retransactionality, customers coming back for additional transactions. So while, while it's great to have a credit card payment system uh, or a debit card payment system, our system has been proven to actually increase your, and provide an uplift in not only retained capital in terms of not giving it to processors, but also overall order increases, which is kind of paramount to surviving in the environment and, and economy we live in now. Yeah. And if I'm listening in here, I'm, I'm really getting hooked up and say, hey, I'm, I'm really interested in learning more. Uh, who, who's kind of the typical customers uh, that you come across here uh, that we kind of onboarded that link, like what's what's a perfect fit for them? Yeah. And like how big in terms of scale as a company and how small, like what's kind of the, the sweet spot, so to speak? Like if, if I was up to me, I'd say every company, but like yeah. if we have to funnel down in terms of our messaging or in terms of our approach and where we are right now in terms of providing the best uh, solution for the right demographic, what we find as the sweet spot is, is really early stage companies. Um, mm -hmm. Now, later stage companies have come to us as well. Uh, they have similar issues, but the problem is much more acute between, uh, if you're looking in the tech space at least, right, between seed and series B. And the reason why is that there's a chasm to cross between seed and series A. If you're not profitable, if you don't have good indications, guess what? You're falling in that chasm. You're not surviving. The company is being sold for parts. Most companies we target, which are marketplaces, gig economy and vertical SaaS and a few other kind of tertiary markets, they typically operate at cash flow neutral, uh, sorry, cash flow negative, and in very rare cases, cash flow neutral. What that means is these businesses actually need to raise more money to be able to sustain the growth that they have. At some point, they might find profitability, and there's probably indications for that, but they need to cross the chasm. Um, and that chasm can only be done through payment optimization through uh, higher uh, take rates and, and retention rates and increasing the total GMV of a business. But the problem with it is the current payment providers don't really provide that to, to any uh, of the verticals we go after. Most of them are, are dying on the vine. In fact, like I said, I keep going back to the economy we're in right now. A, a VC, for, or if we're talking about, again, tech company, is not going to look at a business that's not at least profitable right now. Mm -hmm. That big kind of uh, bull market that we had where you can get a 50x multiple on you know, total GMV, not even revenue, but GMV, which is kind of a almost a vanity metric at some point because you're not actually taking that's not cash flow for your pocket um that doesn't exist right now it might in five ten years who knows uh but we're gonna have to we're gonna have to kind of go through the bear market so what that means is is that these businesses are are usually cash flow uh they're, they're cash restricted they have a lot of pain points they're early stage they're they're fitting to the verticals that we go after they're uh, domiciled and located in the U.S. And we, we kind of target them specifically because we think we can help. It's not that we're just trying to generate money off of them and we're trying to grow the business, which is obviously something we're trying to do, but we yeah. believe that we can fundamentally help them not only cross the chasm, but survive into the next kind of paradigm in, in the, the startup phase, which is, um, it's going to be key. We're going to see a lot of great companies, unfortunately, uh, go by the wayside, not because they're not good companies, 
but because the the market doesn't doesn't have the patience or the flexibility for it. Well, this is great, Nabi. Uh, can you give us a, an example on a scenario where Link Pay by Bank really would benefit the business as well as the customer, and maybe even like here, I'll bring up an uh, an example as let's say Uber Eats, for instance. No, and yeah. you could you could look at us an example where you have the company Uber Eats, you have the delivery guy, the gig worker, you have yeah. the 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 actual. The, let's say McDonald's where they go in and, and pick up the burger and then it's mm -hmm. delivered to consumer. Maybe if you kind of explain, I know it's very complex sure. uh, kind yeah. of what happens on the back end, but really try and simplify at a high level and how really link really eliminates a lot of that background noise and the fees and how it really simplifies for all parties involved, really. I, I wish the people who are listening uh, can actually see a visualization because I, I go through this with a lot of people quite often. So um, if we're using the Uber Eats example, um, we, we all have to make a, a few assumptions here, right? So the user is already registered with Uber Eats. They have a credit card on file, uh, again, which is not the, the most common payment method uh, in the US, but credit card on file. Whenever the, the user makes an order, let's say with McDonald's, Uber Eats will run that payment through their, their payment gateway. And the payment gateway is, is again, like your usual suspects, your, your Stripe and ADN and whatnot. And, and just to kind of preface it, we are not trying to replace that. We don't believe that we should replace it. Um, these are great companies that have great scale that can actually service the, these businesses. We're talking about more like localized payments in the US that are uh, debit card preferred. Um, yeah. Anyways, to, to go back to it, your payment gateway is, is, is basically gonna run that uh, payment process through their, their backend ar architecture. They're gonna look data points that are really required to verify the transactions without going into the weeds too much but they don't really run the payment. The one who's running the payment is the service provider, which sits under a Stripe or ADN, like a PaySafe or WorldPay or whatever. Um, they, they set the price. The problem with that is that there's a cost structure built into it that even the large payment providers can't go below. Um, without talking about thresholds right now, there is a point where a transaction becomes revenue losing. Um, and it's not as low as you think it is. Uh, let's just say that. It's actually much higher than you think. And that's why the, there isn't really a lot of good rates out there. Uh, regardless, once that transaction is run, there's a clearing period, right? It needs to be routed through a clearinghouse and multiple different banks in some cases before it ends up in the accounts of an Uber Eats. Now the merchant, uh, depending on multiple, and, and again, just to clarify, that can take three to five business days for the funds to settle. Um, now the merchant, uh, taking into multiple factors, the merchant is pulling the funds out, uh, but there's also the fact that the merchant doesn't pull the funds out all the time. There's also minimums. There's a lockup period. There's a bunch of different things involved. The merchant wants to pull the funds out. Uh, well, they, they get charged by the way, uh, on the way out by, by Uber Eats to run that payment. Uh, but it, it could take, again, anywhere, for, if, if you're using same day ACH, which is common, uh, same day doesn't actually mean same day. It means typically 24 to 36 hours there's still a timeline between the payment landing and settling and the merchant pulling it out. So if you factor a bunch of these factors in, it's another three to five business days. So the, the tail end is you get your your uh, your burger in, in 30 minutes, the merchant gets their money in about 10 business days. Uh, mm -hmm. It's just fine for McDonald's, not so fine for, you know, little mom and pop cafe that that's kind of surviving on, on the edge. And, and that's really the problem there for the end merchant. The problem for the, the platform is that they're not really retaining as much revenue as they should. Now, the driver also has the same problem. Uh, first of all, they make the delivery. 
uh, they get their tip, but they don't get their tip and their delivery. They need to wait, you know, typically every two weeks. Uh, it could be shorter, it could be longer to get the money out. And and that's the problem. So if we go back to what we initially said, is that if we build the business off of instant payments and instant disbursements, that's that's really what we handle, right? So instant payments, our system, our pay by bank system, allows the funds flow to happen in near real time. Um, we don't use we don't use the typical ACA trails. We don't use uh, a Visa Direct or a MasterCard Send or any of that, which is costly in itself. We cut out all the intermediaries and all the different parties, and we use our own proprietary dynamic real-time payment, uh, not RTP like this in the market. Uh, again, I just got to preface it because all, all these terms are kind of coalescing and overlapping with each other. What that means is that when you're, if you're a driver, and first of all, the, the platform gets the money right away when you make an order. Uh, if it needs to be pulled back, it could be pulled back uh, without going into security of the, the transaction. It's more secure. Our proprietary security method is more secure than any debit or credit card system that that's out there. Again, different conversation, but regardless, the funds end up in the accounts and wallets of Uber Eats in real time. Now, if I'm a driver, I drop off the, I pick up the the food from McDonald's and everything's good to go. McDonald's gets their money in real time. I drop off your food at your location. Guess what happens with the driver's money in real time? And it could be used right away. It's not something that's in a lockup period. It's not, you know, all the plethora of issues that typically happen, the delays, uh, the the kind of nervousness that happens with payments, it's completely eliminated. Uh, everything from our, you know, our, our instant payment method, as well as our compliance and uh, our security process. Yeah, and it's fascinating. It's like people have, or merchants know, they've just come to live with that. And that's kind of the standard. No, I have to wait. I can't get immediate access to those funds no it's kind of it's like like you're not questioning and it. it's a impacting your business probably not mcdonald's like you said but the the little coffee shop no where they're delivering yeah. a little uh a couple of donuts and stuff like that uh here's a well, different... what if what if you can't make payroll in time what if you can't yeah. pay a vendor in time what yeah. if you have an influx of orders and hey guess what you just don't have the the merchandise to actually create that order so you lose business Right. That's the thing. The fundamental problem with it is that we've created so many systems and friction between payment and cash flow accessibility. It's yeah. such a weird system that we've built up and we yeah. just think it's normal. Yeah. So the kind of become the normal, uh, we're just accepting it though. And I, and I think the good thing is now you're, you're, you're striving, driving towards that revolution now that you kind of seen in Australia, Europe, no, and kind of trying to bring that into, to the U S uh, in, in North America. So uh, that's fantastic. Uh, anything else like from uh, from the pay by bank, uh, you mentioned a couple of times in terms of fraud, no, because, uh, yeah. and also uh, maybe what we come to know in the industry as well as friendly fraud. Uh, Super and, common. Yeah, it's very, on the, very, very. It's, yeah. it's on the rise. Um, yeah. Last, what is it? Last year, there was $20 billion worth of friendly fraud that, that yeah. transpired. Yeah, so that's even having a bigger impact on a lot of these. Well, the smaller businesses again is, is is losing a lot on it. Like they they gave the donuts away, now they're not even receiving the payment, and yes. they they kind of really took a hit on it. Uh, how how is uh, how is PayPal Bank kind of overcoming that and, and really running that yeah. kind of high security to to avoid that? And what's yeah. kind of the percentage like in terms of uh, like a 
uh, friendly fraud, for instance, on 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 our platform. Obviously, we can't go into all the specifics, but our fraud rate is uh, zero point. Well, it, it's zero percent, right? But you can't say zero percent for anything, so we have to say zero point zero one percent. The truth is, we don't have fraud on the platform. Uh, this is our payment method uh, and our security and compliance process is, you know, I, you can never say it, it can't be, it can't be defrauded. It's just impossible to say that because anything is feasible. Yeah. But we use, pro, uh, you know, higher than banks or banks, uh, bank level security uh, for it. Let's just say that um, we, we do have, we have a number of measures. I see I'm struggling without saying what it is. It's so difficult to say yeah. how we do it. Yeah. Uh, not that, that the process is difficult, but without kind of exposing too much, you, you just don't want to put too much information out there. Regardless, yeah. our, our fraud rates are 0%, but uh, you can never say that. Uh, so it's sub zero, sub 0.01%. Yeah, but there, there's a number, there's a number, number of items, it's not just biometrics. Uh, there's a number, number of other uh, items that actually allow us to, to be uh, a much more secure method than debit and credit systems. Okay, so um, I wanted to thank you for your for your time, Nabi. Uh, really interesting conversation that I hope a lot of our listeners enjoyed. Uh, so if I'm listening in and I'm really now interested in learning more about Link and Pay by Bank, uh, what what should I do? Yeah, so uh, I would suggest going to trylink.com. So T-R-Y-L-Y-N-K.com. So link is with a Y instead of an I. Um, and then we also have our wait list uh, because we're, we're slowly adding people to our pay by bank function just to make sure that we're we're kind of getting the right folks in. Uh, eventually, we'll, we'll remove that. Um, that's at trylink.com forward slash wait list, if I'm not mistaken. Well, thanks very much again, Nabi, and uh, that's a wrap for today's episode. Uh, we really hope you uh, found the information on our new Pay by Bank feature and listening into Nabi helpful and informative. Um, if you're a small business looking to reduce processing fees and protect against uh, transaction failures and fraud, we really invite you to join our waitlist, as Nabi mentioned, at trilink.com forward slash waitlist. Uh, be one of the first to really experience the power of platform and start pumping those savings back into meaningful consumer rewards uh, that really can drive repeated uh, business for you, which is really going to be good for you uh, going into this uh, recession. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks everyone.